0: Hey, OT Geniuses, my name is Jessica Lopez Hermantin, and I am the creator and founder of OT Genius, and you're listening to Pre-OT Secrets. On this show, we talk about how to get into occupational therapy school, how to do it in the most financially savvy way. And we also dive into the stories of pre-OTs, current OT professionals and students, To learn how they got in and what their experiences were like and so we're here to inspire motivate and encourage you throughout your ot journey and show you how you can be a successful ot school applicant and become the ot that you want to be now on to the show OT Geniuses and welcome back to another pre-OT Secrets episode. We have Alondra Laoti back. And we're just excited to continue this conversation on hippotherapy. I, you know, I know you guys want to learn more about it, and it's just such a unique setting that we definitely had to have her back on again just to learn more. So, Alondra, welcome back and um Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> just excited to continue this so let's go straight to it okay what is your day like or what did it used to be like because right now I know you're focusing on your studies and stuff and the little yeah. ones that you have and, and <laughs> but what was your day like as someone who did hypotherapy?
1: yeah so traditionally, you know, you go into work, it's kind of, you know, traditional in the sense that you go in, you check your emails and, you know, do all of the logistics stuff, anything like that. But then sometimes I would go and help out before a session. I might go and, you know, bring a horse down that's going to be used in the morning and help groom or bathe or, you know, whatever needs to be done, bring some horses down so that they could be ready for sessions. And then, you know, part of being a therapist is treatment planning and planning your interventions. And so, you know, I would make sure to kind of refer back to my notes if I couldn't remember what, you know, we did last session and you have to, you know, prep for your session. So I would set up, you know, unlike (laughs) the clinic where you have the clinic as your setting, we have the arena. (laughs) So I set up the arena For our sessions. And that could mean, you know, maybe some cones, a barrel, having a basketball out or whatever it is that I'm going to use during session. I just have to make sure that I have it, you know, ready to go. Cause once you have your client on a horse, you're not going back inside (laughs) to get anything. So, you know, prep for your session. Then, you know, you see your clients at the end of your session, just like any other setting, you clean up your, you know, your session, put everything away. The horse handlers are the ones in charge of the horses. So they're usually the ones bringing the horse into the session. They take the horse out of the session. So I'm not worried or doing too much with the horses during my sessions or after my sessions. And then, you know, documentation. So it just kind of goes like that throughout the day. You know, if someone needs help with the horse, I might help bring them down. But, you know, just like regular sessions, you prep for your sessions, you have your sessions, you finish your session, clean up your session documentation.
0: How do you get the horses ready? That got my attention because I personally I've never observed hippotherapy. So this is all new to me too. Like I hear yeah. you say get the horse ready. You know, yes. how, how do you yes. do that? What does that look like?
1: <laughs> so as occupational therapists the horse is our tool. So mm-hmm. it's weird because you know when you think of when you hear the word hippotherapy, it makes it sound as if it's own therapy, but it's it's not. It's hippotherapy is really just the horse as a tool. So really what the people what my clients are getting are occupational therapy and I'm using hippotherapy. And so as the occupational therapist and having the horse as my tool, I had to decide what I want to make sure my tool, my equipment looks like. And so when we get the horse ready, that might mean the tack, which is like the equipment that goes on the horse. I have to select that. So, usually mm. it's pre selected and it doesn't change, you know, unless I change it at some point. So, that may mean that they have a pad. The horse might have a pad on top of them. They may have stirrups if I want them to have, you know, my client to have stirrups for more input. And so, really getting the horse ready means them tacking the horse up, putting the equipment on the horse.
0: Yeah, Got it. Cool. Yeah. That sounds mm-hmm. interesting. And I'm sure maybe just like, I'm guessing different things just allow you to address what you specifically want to address. Like if a child does need more input or can to- like maybe they can tolerate this type of seat, but not the other one. And so all that right. just kind of goes into account.
1: Yeah. And usually what I think makes us a little bit, what makes it a little bit different is that when you're using hypotherapy, a lot of our sessions, we don't even use a saddle because we want to maximize the movement mm. of our of the horse onto the client. And so the pad, just having like a pad on the, on the horse gives so much input into the client. But then there are some sessions where we may want a saddle, you know, because maybe the individual has very limited proximal support or whatever. And so they need more stability in their trunk, in their pelvis, and so, then a saddle might be more appropriate. But I mean, I've had parents come, and they've never been, and it's like they're there for an evaluation. And then we put the kid on the horse, and they're like, "Where's the saddle? <laughs> like, there's, there's, there's no saddle." <laughs> the horse. We have the pad. That's it. <laughs> that's so. Cool. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we do use a saddle, but it's rare because we want to use our tool, which is the the hippotherapy, the the horse. We want to maximize that input. Yeah. And
0: I'm guessing that this may vary location to location that does offer hypotherapy. But who is in charge of like cleaning after the animals and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. So I, the facility that I was at, the barn manager, they have a whole barn staff and they're the horse handlers usually. So they're the ones that are in the session controlling the horse. Whatever you tell, ask the horse handlers to do, they're the ones doing it. And so they're usually the ones that clean up after the horses too. But you know what? Sometimes after a session, if, you know, a horse, you know, pooped during session and I don't have anyone afterwards, I will go get a shovel and scoop it up and, and help. Right. Because it's, a, I it's love you know, <laughs> you're, it's not a, it's not a hospital setting, but you're still working in an interdisciplinary team and yeah. everybody has to help. Right. So yeah, it's I would tough. sometimes get a shovel and scoop. <laughs> good stuff <laughs> i love listen this is why i am asking
0: because <laughs> you time- it you don't work in this setting if you want to be clean it's just not happening, it's just not happening. <laughs> there you go there you go so if you're trying to- i actually got a message from a student today like no joke and i told him i'm like you Because the question was literally about settings. It's a current Mm -hmm. OT student. And the student is like, I don't know what setting to choose. You know, and I'm like, well, I'm going to do a whole thing on settings. So uh, you might as well be tuning into these. And but there you go. That's a good tidbit. If you like to be clean and you expect things to be clean you Don't. may want to consider
1: stuff because you're in a barn I mean you there there there's just stuff everywhere okay like and, you're, and you must I'm, sh- I'm guessing you're
0: outside for the majority of the day that's right. another thing and to consider
1: luckily at the facility that I was at it had a covered arena so rain or shine we have sessions mm. the only time sessions were canceled is if you know, the weather was too bad. So too much wind, that's not good because it could scoop the horses with the trees and the leaves. Or if it's like thunderstorm or, you know, we're in California, so wildfires, the smoke, if the the air quality was bad. So it's very rare that we would cancel sessions. So, you know, we're outside rain or shine. And then of course we don't have to, we're not limited by the arena. We have trails. So, yeah, we're mainly outside. Yeah.
0: So, if you're not that type of like outdoorsy person that you know, you don't want to be out in the sun. I know personally, yes. one of my thing- I, I live in Miami, Florida. Okay. And it can get very hot. And, and when it is that nice 70, 80 degree weather, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Right. I love right. it. Like I take my kids outside and play like, let's just go to the playground area. Let's go, <laughs> you know, but I mean, if it's summer, July, I, um, yes. I don't even step out.
1: <laughs> yeah, see, and that's something that, you know, you have to consider, right? Because when it's really hot, I'm in the Bay Area. So a hot is relative, right? For yeah. us, like 92 degrees, we're all like dying of heat exhaustion. <laughs> and then in the wintertime, you know, anything below 55, we're like, it's freezing. But you have to keep in mind that you may be working in those conditions. So you have to be comfortable with that. And I personally love being outside. So it's not a big deal to me, but you know, when it's cold, you, you know, you have to be bundled up and sometimes those later sessions, it gets really cold and you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, why am yeah. I doing this?
0: Yeah. So that's another one.
1: Spaces, And you're like, okay, it's all worth it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of clients, what type of clients do you see? What are some common diagnoses?
1: Yeah, it's a range, to be honest. The more traditional, not I wanna, I wouldn't say traditional, but a common diagnosis that we see is autism. And it's usually for, you know, that that motor planning, coordination, executive functioning, but then of course, some sensory integration that we're helping to support, any sensory processing challenges that we're helping to support. Then we have children that have more like physical dysfunction, like cerebral palsy or rare genetic diagnoses that may create some physical limitations or challenges or or difficulty with motor coordination and movement. So Down syndrome. I mean, I even had a client who was visually impaired, um, had no vision whatsoever. So and helping that client with sensory processing and regulation, self-regulation. So I mean, yeah, it really varies. Yeah.
0: Now, and again, this is just, I'm asking because I'm, uh, I have not myself worked in hypotherapy is yes. hypotherapy, something normally that is private pay. I actually have a client of mine. Cause we do have a hypotherapy center in the Miami, Florida area, which I would love oh, to nice. actually go observe. Like this conversation yeah, is making <laughs> me right. Yes, I totally should. But my question to you is I have this one client, she sees me for, you know, your quintessential traditional outpatient pediatrics right. you know sessions but on the side she is also getting hippotherapy and right. is that is, is hippotherapy something that's normally covered by insurance how yeah. does that normally work
1: yeah so you know anything around horses is going to be crazy expensive so most of the facilities that i know of are nonprofits and, you know, it's private pay, but because the services that are being provided at these facilities, it's usually either, well, the only disciplines that are allowed to integrate hippotherapy are OTPT and speech. So when we see a client and we write up the notes, we're using traditional OTCPT codes. And mm-hmm. so at the end of the month, they get their, you know, their bill and it has the CPT codes and then they can send that in for reimbursement to their insurance. But, you know, most facilities are private pay. So you have to pay up front and, you know, then you take the codes. Yeah. And hopefully, get I'm reimbursed. guessing
0: if they're getting therapies elsewhere, it's almost like they can't really bill it because then it's like double billing as well, is my
1: guess. But yeah, um, I'm not sure. I'm just so happy I don't have to yeah. deal with insurance. <laughs> <laughs> But (laughs) but you know, sometimes, sometimes we get some, you know, we do get some clients that are like, our insurance is not trying to cover this. Can you please send a letter? And so we do have to send out, you know, the progress notes or or things like that to show that there is a need and they are receiving medically based occupational therapy. So they're not getting horse therapy, they're getting OT or they're getting PT or they're getting speech. So Sometimes we do have to do that, but I mean, I'm just happy. I don't did not have to deal with insur- insurance. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah.
0: I thank you so much. And yeah. what would you say is your favorite thing about hypotherapy?
1: Honestly, just the fact that it is so non-traditional. It is, you can't replicate what a client gets out of this session in any other session. It is a fully immersive, like sensory rich experience from the fact that you are outside, you're hearing things, you're seeing things, you're smelling things. Sometimes you smell in the horse fart poop, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then you're also, you know, the kids are also feeling the horse movement. They're feeling the horse sometimes like literally touching the horse. And I just love that. It's very much a natural context in the sense that, you know, being on a horse can be a leisure activity. And for some of these kids, I think some people would never think that these kids would be able to get on a horse, but here they can, you know, there's no Mm -hmm. limitations. And so I I just love, I just love that, you know, and it's, it's just very unique. It's just very unique. And I get so much out of it as much, you know, as much as my clients do, you know, seeing their little faces and how much it motivates them to participate in a session. Like it's just cool. It's just really cool. And I get to be outside.
0: (laughs) Yeah that, that yeah. sounds so good. Yeah. Now how does one specifically become a hippotherapist or get sort of certif- like get that certification because again I just just like how you've emphasized, but I'm going to emphasize it to myself, to the listeners yeah. is that, you know, you are an OT. It's just mm-hmm. that the tools that you use are horses and that yeah. you're using hippotherapy to do yeah. occupational therapy. <laughs> and, yeah. and so basically, yeah. How does one get to do that? Like if for the students listening in or just even clinicians listening in that are wanting maybe make this transition well like you know talk about what should they do like aside from observing is there a test is there a exam that they need to take what does that look like how does one get to work with
1: yeah so you know like I said I think my situation was very unique in the sense that I didn't have any experience with horses at all and so I really came in like green super green. And so the shadowing is going to be very important. Um, that's going to be the first step to kind of like get your foot in the door. So even if you're a student and you're thinking about this setting, you know, you can always ask for a field work placement in the setting and there are not many, but there are a few out there. And if you can get one, that's great. So that's one way to kind of get that exposure. And if you like it, sometimes, you know, you get hired after field work. So you never know. So that's one way to kind of get in. But then also I did a lot of on the job training. So training with the horses, training and learning about how the movement impacts the horses, how to select horses for your clients. But formal training, the American Hippotherapy Association has courses that uh, you can take so that you can become certified. And so the company that I was at, they paid for me to go to the training to get my level one certification. And know that it's not mandatory, but... Mm. For organizations that are very sort of like established, you're going to want to have that certification.
0: Mm, Um, Okay. So it's not required to practice. Right. It's almost
1: like being registered. Like some places you don't have to be an OTR, but you have to have your license. Right. So some people don't have the OTR, but they have their their license, so their OTL. We can um, have a
0: whole other discussion about that. So for those um, <laughs> who really
1: blew
0: their mind, that's a whole other
1: thing. But yes, but listen, what she's saying is true. true. <laughs> just have your, have your, it just, trust me, there's just a different level of appreciation and also expectation when you are board certified. And when you do have that additional certification, people, you know, you can speak to things in a different way, but it's not required. Like it's not going to make or break, but it definitely helps. And I did it through the company. They paid for me. And then there's a level two training that you have to do after a certain amount of time after you complete your level one. So yeah, that's the main certification is the level one and the level two training. Got it. Yeah.
0: What would you say, Alondra, is your least favorite thing about the setting?
1: Because I believe everything always has its (laughs) pros and its cons. Yes. I would say, you know, honestly, back to the weather. Okay. (laughs) When when it's hot, it's hot. When it's cold, it's cold. Mm. Mm. And so as much as I love to be outside, it can almost be a distraction when it's too hot and when it's too cold because no one's comfortable. The horse isn't comfortable. The client isn't comfortable because they have the helmet on their head. They're sweating. When it's too cold, everyone's freezing. The client can barely move. Their hand, their little hands are frozen. So I would say that's probably like the worst part. I mean, I personally love getting down and dirty. So cleaning up a stall, cleaning up poop, like that doesn't do anything for me. But, but that's like, eh, that's fine. But if it's <laughs> super, super cold or super, super hot, yeah, it can impact the session negatively sometimes.
0: <laughs> I hear you. I yeah. hear you. Yeah. And then actually I'm going to completely sidetrack because I just totally d- didn't realize I'd never asked. I did not ask you this mm-hmm. question, but I would love to know this too. As far as the clients go, we talked about what type of diagnoses you commonly see. And I'm just curious, is there any way or like, how do you go about like, I guess you could say the client, because I'm guessing for some clients too, the horse can maybe be a very scary experience. They are seeing this big animal and maybe they don't know what to expect. Or do you see more excitement about the horse than you do a little bit of like, I don't know what that, you know? So what do you (laughs) normally
1: see? That's, that's a good question you know, a lot of times it's the caregivers, right? The parents, the grandparents that want this for their child or, you know, their family members. So sometimes the clients aren't there by choice. right? (laughs) And (laughs) and it's, you know, but with that being said, it is very rare that I get a client that does not want to get on the horse. But I have had some kids that are I mean, I can think back of this one kid who was extremely, almost like, like deathly terrified to get on the horse. And so we had to do some rapport building between this kid and his horse. And then we also, I also had to trial different horses because, mm. you know, maybe that first horse that I tried with him that I thought would provide good proprioceptive input was too intimidating so then I tried another horse who's maybe less intimidating and just sort of build that connection but then you know getting him on the horse was another story it was so hard to get him on the horse but what was interesting is that once he got on the horse it was like he was like a completely different kid and then we couldn't get him off the horse so (laughs) Go figure. For like, I swear, for like two and a half months, it was the same thing. Like, we couldn't get him on. We had to, you know, get him to talk to the horse, work on touch, getting him mm. to touch the horse, feel comfortable. We had to like pull him on the horse, kicking and kick it screaming. And then once he was on the horse, he was completely fine. And then, of course, he didn't want to get off the horse. And this went on for like, (laughs) I swear, like two and a half months. And then eventually, I mean, he would come. He would wait for his horse to come. He would, we would do math because he loved math. So we would do multiplications and he would do multiplication on the horse. And that's how we got him to touch the horse. He would go on the horse Mm. with a lot less resistance and hesitation. And we would have our session and same thing, he wouldn't want to get off, but it was a lot less of a struggle. And so it's very rare, but you know, there there are those cases where the kids are like, No, <laughs> what am I <laughs> doing sure. here? This animal's gonna eat me up. But yeah, they always I feel like most of them end up coming around. I did have one kid who was like who could care less about the horse. He's just like, I, I could care less about this horse, I don't want to ride the horse. And it got to a point where we had to tell the parents, like, you know, is this really beneficial? Is this really beneficial for your child if they don't want to ride? They don't want to even get on. And I can't force the kid on. Right. But the parents really wanted him. And, and I'm like, it's just not a, we have to find a balance here. And it just wasn't the right fit. And that's totally fine, too. So.
0: That's super, super cool. Um <sighs> Just thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your experience and what you do on, like, on the daily and what your setting looks Mm -hmm. like. And guys, I hope that this has just provided you some insight and provided you lots of value to know the different things you can do with your degree, the different types of settings that are out there. Keep an ear out for. Those to come about different things that you can do with the degree. Hippotherapy is just one of them. So, you know, you guys can get in touch with Alondra and on Instagram and remind me. I forgot, I'm so sorry. But is there another way for them to get in touch with you too? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Alondra La O T. Yeah. And I'm always, I mean, I love when people reach out and have questions, and I'm always open to that. So don't feel shy. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm always available that way. Yeah.
0: Very, very cool. Well, thank you again. And Thanks I'm you sure you've in touch and this won't be the last time. <laughs> yes, no, this
1: is fun. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your day to listen. We hope that this has been of value to you and will get you one step closer towards becoming the OT that you want to be. One of the biggest problems I see is that pre-OTs They try to do things alone. They do things in isolation and the connections that they have are minimal for many reasons. But we are changing that here at OT Genius and focusing instead on building a community for pre-OTs for them to have their first OT family and meet other pre-OTs, current OT students and clinicians. To be a part of that awesome community, you can subscribe to our membership by going to otgenius.com. Just go to the tab, get me into OT school on the homepage and you can join our awesome community there. You can also find our social medias and ways to get in touch with us on the website. So thank you again and see you in the next one.